Good morning, friends. I want to say welcome to our online worship time. My name is Sam Huff. I'm the pastor at Vernonia Church, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to dive into the teaching series we began last week where we're talking about personal God. And today we're going to be talking about the subject, Big G God. And it's going to be a great day. Before we do anything, though, I do have a few things I just want to mention to you. One of them is this. Uh, you might notice on the, on, the, uh, on the links below that there is a place to click connection card. And maybe while I'm talking and, and doing some of this startup stuff, you could just click over there and, and be sure to sign in. Let us know that you're here, whether you're here during the live time or whether you're here later. Be sure to click that link. It's going to take you to our, our webpage. And over there, we have some connection cards where you could just let us know that you joined us today. I would love to know that you were there. I'm going to be praying for those of you who use the connection card. You'll also know notice that there's a, a spot to click that will take you over to our vernonia.church webpage. And there, there's also a place that you can put prayer requests. If there's anything we can be praying for you about today, if there's anything we could be praying for you about throughout this week, let us know. Click that uh, and go over there to our prayer page and just let us know how we can be praying for you. Also want to encourage you, no matter what platform you're watching on today, whether you are on Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, or any of the other apps that our that our messages are going out to be sure to make sure that you're clicking the like button clicking the subscribe button and be sure to hit that sub notification bell so that you can be reminded or, or that you can be told that that we're going live or we're coming up soon or that that there's a new message on there that you can jump in and enjoy with us and so be sure to do that also want to encourage you if something happens today if something you hear in this message today just touches your heart if God really teaches you something or blesses you or you have an experience with God because of what was done today, I want to encourage you to share it. Be sure to share it. That way uh, you can you can let us help you be a blessing to the people in your life. And so be sure to, to be sharing the messages as, as they come up when they're special to you and they mean something to you. Uh, that said, uh, I also want to encourage you, those of you who have uh, never been with us before, we would love to give you a gift. We'd love to give you a book. We have this book called Unshakable, and it's a book that we give to everybody who joins us in person or or online. And, and just let us know that you would like one of those Unshakable books. You could let us know when you sign in on the connection card. There's a spot to do that, or you could tell us on the prayer request, or you could even just send us a private message uh, and let us know that uh, you want one of those Unshakable books. But I want to say welcome to all of you, and so let's dive in right now. I want to be praying for you. And I want to pray for this time as we get started here today. So let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you right now. And, and God, we know that you are the big G God. That you are Yahweh God, who is the King of Kings, the Creator of all things. You are the the Lord of Lords, and the you are the God of Gods. And so, God, as we come before you, we we put ourselves at your feet, and we want to hear from you. We want to learn from you, and we want to know you, 
God, I pray for all those who are joining us, no matter where they are, no matter what's going on. God, uh, some people are joining us this morning and they've come with broken hearts. They've come with disappointments and hurts and, and they've come with struggles. And so God, would you minister to them? And would you touch their life? And God, would you bring healing and strength and help to each one of them? And God, others are here because they just want to praise you and they want to worship you and they want to hear from you. And so God, I pray that today would be a day where you as the big G God, where you as Yahweh God, that God, you would speak directly to us, that you would have something special for us. God, I pray that you will meet each one of us in just the right way. That, that God, you will have made a divine appointment for those who are listening and, and for those who are joining online and those who are coming here, that they would hear exactly what you planned for them to hear this day. That, that something that's said, something that's done here today, will just minister in a special way and draw us closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name, and we all prayed together and said loudly, if you're at home, you're saying it out loud, amen. Uh, By the way, amen. It's a word that all of a sudden it popped up in pop culture, right? People are talking about it. And, and literally it's a word that, that means let this be or let this happen or I'm in agreement. And so when we pray, we all pray together and you say amen and, and I say amen. It's sort of like this moment where we're saying to God, this is what we're asking for. This is what we'd like. This is what we want. Amen. Let this be. Let this happen happen. And so that's what the word means in case you didn't know. And uh, and so so amen, right? And now let's dive in to the message that we're all here together for. So this morning I want to talk with you about personal God. This this personal God. We we began this series last week where we were talking about the idea that God wants us to know him personally. And in order for us to know him personally, he begins by introducing himself on this mountaintop with Moses in Exodus chapter 34. And there in Exodus chapter 34, he declares his name. He tells us his name. His name is Yahweh, and he wants to get personal with us. And as we talk about this personal God this morning, we're going to dive into a message where we're going to get to know him as the big G God. And you know, there are a lot of gods that people worship today. There are a lot of gods that are out there. There are a lot of names of gods that are out there. Uh, Man, this series couldn't have come at a more perfect time. I, I just see, we, we just saw last week, we saw in the house, we saw a prayer uh, in, our, in our government. There was this time where there was this prayer, and at the end of the prayer, the person praying throughout multiple names, throughout multiple ideas, said amen and a woman and called God a he or a she. And, and man, what a What a perfect time for a message in a series where we're getting to know God and who God is. And the answer to the question, who is God? You know, is God a he or a she or a they? And is God uh, a a multiplicity of different ideas and thoughts that are out there? Well, no. God introduces himself in Exodus 34 saying, I am Yahweh, Yahweh God. And he's going to tell us about who he is. But man, we do have a lot of gods out there, don't we? Uh, 
I remember several years back, I went to India. I went on this mission trip to go see a, a mission that, that has built a Christian school and that has begun teaching preachers who have gone out and started churches all over southern India. And it was a great trip. It was, it was amazing to see all the things that were being done in the name of Christ there in India and see, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of children praying and, and giving their life to Christ and the, the power that the gospel is having as it spread throughout, spreads throughout all, all throughout India. But one of the things that stood out to me, actually two, there were two big things that stood out to me when I was there in India. Uh, one of them was the idea that there are so many people. I mean, it's like being downtown New York everywhere. There are people everywhere. There, you're just always rubbing shoulders with people and seeing people. There are a lot of people in that, in that country. And there are people everywhere you go. But along with that, uh, there was also a lot of gods everywhere. These people were very spiritual people. Every street corner seemed to have a a shrine and and someone worshiping or sacrificing or burning incense or praying at a shrine. And and everywhere you went, there were temples and shrines and gods and statues of gods and pictures of gods. And these were a very spiritual people. And there were all kinds of gods all throughout uh, this country. And one of the things that that you experience when you go to a place like that, a place that's very spiritually oriented and and very spiritually sensitive, is that you begin to kind of feel it. I can't really explain it, but you're in a place where people are so spiritual and spiritually sensitive that you begin to sort of feel there's a spiritual atmosphere to it. And and it feels different because we get so desensitized to spiritual things. As Westerners who who live in the U.S., we, we kind of rack all, all the, a lot of our feelings and a lot of our experiences up to uh, f- to different reasons. but And, and we sort of desensitized ourselves to the idea that there are spiritual things out there. But when you're in a place like India and, and it's so filled with spirituality, you really start to become a little bit more spiritually aware and, and realize that, that man, we are spiritual beings in a spiritual world. And even though we've been somewhat desensitized to it here, the truth is we really are spiritual beings in a spiritual world filled with all kinds of spiritual things. And whether we see them or not, whether we experience them or not, uh, or acknowledge them or not, we are constantly bumping shoulders with, uh, constantly encountering and having encounters with spiritual things, uh, No, whether we acknowledge it or not. We are. They're there. And, and it's happening. The truth is, we're not that sensitive to it, but there are other other spiritual things in this world besides Yahweh God and and besides I mean we we see in scripture that there are angels and cherubim and seraphim and all kinds of different spiritual creations and we see in scripture that there are demons and Satan and 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 there are all kinds of spiritual beings that we can't see and all kinds of gods now we live in a world and in a country where you're probably not going to see uh 
You're probably not going to see a temple or a shrine on every street corner. You're probably not going to see um, a lot of places, although you can. You can find these places, a lot of places where there are idols and, and different things we're worshiping. But we do, as Westerners, have our own gods. In fact, we worship probably one of the gods that Jesus talked about the most. We in our culture tend to worship the god who Jesus named Mammon or Money. We worship this God and we love this God and we cherish this God. And and man, if you don't think that money is a God, try messing with somebody's money or, or, uh, or, or taking somebody's money or encouraging somebody to give money and, and try to talk about somebody's money. And you'll find out pretty quick that they worship this thing and you better not mess with their God. And Jesus would say that is probably, Jesus would teach more about that God than almost any other uh, God or false God out there. And and, uh, and Jesus would challenge us that we can't worship that God and him at the same time. Now, that's a sermon for another time, but I'm just using that as an example to say we might not have little statues we worship and burn incense to, but we have our gods. Uh, just try just try going for a day or two without your cell phone or without social media. Just, just try going for a day or two without looking for where that phone is on your pocket. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, I get up to leave my house and and I just start patting my pockets. Okay, there's my wallet, there's my keys, and, and there's my cell phone. And, and I start feeling around. And, and you know, you go for a day without it, and you go feeling for that pocket. You go, oh, where is it? I miss it. I don't know where it is. And, and, and you tell me that it can't become a God in your life. And I'll bet it, I, I think it really can. But we're going to talk about a little more serious. We're going to talk about the idea that there are other spiritual things in this world. And we're going to talk about how God is set apart from all those spiritual things because he has this name. He, he isn't just some spirit. He isn't just some God. He isn't just some spiritual thing. He is Yahweh. Yahweh God. And, and by the way, I did have a, a picture from a story there in India. Uh, I took a ton of pictures. I just was overwhelmed at times by the beautiful sights and sounds and things that I was experiencing there in India. And one day we were on a bus and we're going along the road on that bus and and we saw uh, we saw thousands and thousands of men who had no shirts on. They were wearing like black shorts or cut off pants. They were barefoot and they were walking along the roads and they were dancing and singing. And some of them were just chatting it up and walking and having a good time. And, and they were wearing colorful scarves and, and colorful um, uh, necklaces. And I remember asking somebody, you know, what is going on? What's the deal with these thousands of people? And, 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 I was told that they were on a pilgrimage. They were going to go worship multiple different gods. They were going to go from this shrine to that shrine. And, and these thousands of people were on a pilgrimage to worship these gods. Very spiritual uh, people trying to look for spiritual answers. And, and so we're going to talk about this Yahweh God who sets himself apart from all these other gods that mankind may worship, that mankind might might find themselves um, might find themselves enslaved to or or struggling with and and so let's talk about 
this Yahweh God. As we jump into the passage where God introduces himself, we see in Exodus chapter 34, if you remember from last week, this was where Moses climbed up the mountain of Sinai and asked God two questions. He said, God, will you show me your ways so I can understand you and worship you correctly? And and then he said, God, will you also show me your glory? And so God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock and I'm going to come by and I'm going to declare my name to you and it says this it says and he passed in front of Moses God passes in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And here God introduces himself and says, this is who I am. And I want to focus in, we're, throughout this whole series, we're going to focus in on this verse. In fact, this is a, if you're, if you're doing next steps with us, I always encourage people to take a next step when it comes to our, our messages and our, our worship services. And one of the next steps I'd encourage you to take is to memorize this verse, Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. Pull out your Bible, memorize it in your version, and really get to know this verse, because this is an important verse where God declares who he is is and describes himself to us. But we're going to spend the next several weeks just unpacking pieces of this verse and really getting to know the entire thing where God describes himself. But the first part, the first part here, he describes himself and he declares his name twice. Now in the Hebrew here, he declares his name as Yahweh. In in our most of our Bible versions in English, it says the Lord, the Lord. There's one that says the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord and uh, but really what it is is twice here we see the Hebrew word for God the Hebrew name for God and it's literally only four ancient Hebrew letters it's four letters. It's Y-H-W-H because in the ancient Hebrew, there were no vowels. And so, uh, so, so it's, it's Y-H-W-H. And if you add the vowels that were traditionally added in, you get the word Yahweh. Uh, now there is a way to take the Greek word for Lord and put it together and you come up with Jehovah. That's where we get the name Jehovah. But the traditional, uh, the traditional way to say it, and, and we're just going to adopt that for the rest of our series here, is Yahweh. And he says, to Moses. He says, my name is Yahweh, Yahweh. And twice he declares it. He says, I'm Yahweh and I'm Yahweh God. Uh, Now, we've already talked about last week how this word Yahweh, it it means I am who I am. If if God says it, it's I am, I am. If we say it, it's you are, you are, which is Yahweh. You are, you are. And, 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 And in this way, God is saying, I am the God who who is and who always was. I am the God through whom all things that are have come to be. I am the creator God. And he says, that's who I am. I'm Yahweh. I'm Yahweh. And I'm not just some God. I'm Yahweh God. And we're asking the question today, why? Why do we need to know God's name? Why does it make a difference to know God's name? And here's why. Because it does something that a name does. A name will, will, will distinguish 
one person from another, right? A, a name will tell us who someone is. And here God is saying, this is who I am. I am different and set apart from all other spiritual beings, from all other gods, from all other things that people might worship. I am set apart as the Yahweh God who's made everything. And and in that way, we're going to get to know him today. And instead of having three points, four points, five or six points today, I just have two. One really long one and one really short one. And my two points today are are this. The first one is this. Yahweh, he's the big G creator God. He's to be set apart from all other gods because he's the big G creator God. You know, this is an important one, and I want you to stay with me. He's not, he's not any, he's not to be compared with any other God. He's above all other gods. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we're introduced to God. But you know what? It doesn't introduce us to him by his name. It doesn't tell us Yahweh God. It just calls God Elohim. Now, we're going to get to know this word Elohim a little bit. We're going to see that the word Elohim can be used for for all kinds of spiritual beings. But, but here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word here is not the word Yahweh, it's the word Elohim. Now, Elohim isn't so much a name, it's a category. It's a category for spiritual beings. Here in Genesis, Yahweh God is called an Elohim, and and he is an Elohim, but he's more than just any old Elohim. In the beginning was the Elohim who made everything and who created everything. That's what we're reading in Genesis 1.1. He is not just a spiritual being, but he is the spiritual being who created all things. Here in Genesis, we're introduced to this spiritual being, this real Elohim, this living Elohim, this powerful Elohim who creates everything with his words. This Elohim, he speaks, and he speaks to existence, the sun. He speaks to existence, the moon. He speaks to existence, the stars and the firs trees and the cedar trees and the valleys and the hills and this little Oregon Valley that we live live in today and and he created all things and he created mankind and he created you and your smile he created you and your smile that happens when you look out into the world that he created he's this Elohim that's who we're being introduced to in Genesis 1 verse 1 and at the time that Moses wrote the book of Genesis there were already all kinds of creation myths and stories about Elohims who created things. And so when Moses says in the beginning was, was the Elohim who created all things, he was, he was sort of speaking into a world filled with all kinds of stories. I mean, there was one ancient Babylonian story that, that talked about how the world was created because there was this battle between these two gods and, and one god kills the other 
God and then makes the earth out of that God's corpse. I mean, there are all kinds of crazy stories about how the world was made. But in Genesis 1-1, it introduces us to this true creator, Elohim, who makes everything. He's not a created Elohim himself. He has no creation or creator. He is the creator of all things. And you know, in Colossians chapter 1, talking about Jesus, actually, in in chapter 1 in Colossians, it says this, through this God, uh, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. So he made everything, even the things in the heavenly realms. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, all the spiritual things that we rub shoulders with and all the spiritual things on heaven and on earth. God created them all. This Elohim made them, such as these, these are the examples of things that he made, things such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Did you notice the language there in that conversation? In the language of that verse, he says that he created things visible and invisible. There are other invisible things that he mentions, things that like uh, dominions and principalities and powers and, and other Elohim. And when God led Moses and the people of Israel to to claim them as their own nation, when he led them out of Egypt, you might remember this story. It's interesting because in this story, God actually kind of shows himself to be above all other Elohim. You know, the story of the Exodus as the people of Israel came up out of slavery and bondage and genocide in, in Egypt. God led them out. But before he did, God sent a series of plagues and God sent Moses to do some miraculous things. And, and one of the things that it says in Exodus twelve twelve is it says that God... God was going to do what he does to show that that he has that that he has authority and power and dominion even over all the other gods of this world. Uh, in Exodus chapter 12 verse 12 God says this, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. Now, I want to clarify something. You know, the word there, all the gods of Egypt, it's the word Elohim again. And remember, this word Elohim, it's not a name. It's a category. It's a title for spiritual things. And sometimes we just assume, well, there are no other spiritual things, right? There's just God, and he's the only God. But but here, I want to, I want to remind you that that sometimes there are other spiritual things. That sometimes the spiritual things and gods that people worship, they're, they're false, they're make-believe, they're, they're not real. But other times there's something real there. There is a real spiritual principality, power, a real Elohim behind the scenes. For example, when God uh, says, I'm going to bring judgment on all the gods, the Elohim of the Egyptians, uh, he would He would do things with the plagues to show that he had power over them. Each one of the plagues was an affront to one of the Egyptian gods that the Egyptians worshipped. For example, the god Amun-Ra. Amun-Ra was the sun god, the god over all of the Egyptian gods. He was the one that they thought was like the top god. 
but Amun Ra as the sun god, uh, God says, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna blot out the sun for three days." And so there was this miraculous this plague thing that happened where for three days the sun didn't show itself. It was God's way of telling the Egyptians, Amun Ra isn't the god of gods. I'm the god of gods. And after seeing what God did, Moses and the Israelites they began to sing a song in Exodus chapter 15. After all of the plagues happened and after all of that, they worshiped God. And, and look what it says, Exodus chapter 15, 11, as they sang, they said, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? And there is the word Elohim. Who's like you among the Elohim, O Lord? Glorious, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders in Psalm 96, 4. It says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. And the word there is the word Elohim. He's to be feared more than any of the Elohim. He, he is to be respected more than all of them. In Psalm 97, 7, it says, every God, every Elohim, every spiritual being must bow to him. In fact, when God declared his name and his attributes to Moses on Mount of Sinai, he, he gave something else to Moses. He gave him the Ten Commandments. And you know, the very first of the Ten Commandments, it's one that we don't often think about because we sometimes we just assume, well, there are no other gods. But God gives us the first of the Ten Commandments, and he says this in Exodus 20, verse 3. He says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall put no other spiritual being. You should put no other Elohim. You should put no other made-up or make-believe God in front of me. And whether that Elohim is make-believe, a myth, an idea, or whether there's a real Elohim, and an unseen spirit, spiritual power behind it, you shall have no other Elohim before him. Remember, the word Elohim is is a word for spiritual being. And we need to remember that not all of them are make-believe. And then there's the second commandment. The second commandment is you shall not make idols. And, And sometimes we just put the first commandment and the second commandment together, assuming that they're both the same thing, but they're different from each other. Because an idol is something we craft or create and we make and we worship. And and that idol might just be a lump of metal or a heap of wood or something we made or something people made. But behind that idol may well be a spiritual Elohim, giving that idol influence and giving that idol strength and giving that idol, what if, what if when Jesus talked about the God of money, he wasn't just being figurative? What if he was saying there really is a spiritual Elohim that's at work making you and your love for money uh, ruin your life? What if, what if there really is some sort of spiritual Elohim behind the idol of your phone, keeping you a slave to it and keeping you addicted to it and keeping you in a place where you can't go without it. And and if it's not there, you feel like you're missing something. What if? What if there's an Elohim behind the idols that we have? All of a sudden, uh, worshiping money doesn't sound so innocent, does it? And yet Jesus even said, hey, that God has a name, Mammon. 
And, and that, that God is a God that you will have to choose, either me or him. And uh, you better choose Jesus because Jesus will, 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 well, he won't put up with us worshiping more than, more than him. He won't put up with us putting someone before him. He says, you're either for me or you're against me. And so you shall have no other gods before me is what God says. And, and what the Yahweh God says, the Elohim God says. Just as a good example of, of, of a time and a place where it seems like these Elohim really do have ability and power to influence things, we can go to that story of the plagues of Egypt and the story of the Exodus. God sent Moses and Aaron uh, to, to confront Pharaoh, say, let my people go. God gave Aaron and Moses the ability to do things and create uh, and, and announce and create these uh, plagues that were going to happen, and they were all powerful, miraculous things. And one of them was he had he had Aaron's staff uh, and gave it the ability to turn into a snake. And and Aaron goes up before Pharaoh and says, "Let my people go," and and then throws his staff down, and the staff turns into a snake. And you know what? Pharaoh called on his sorcerers and and his magicians and and, and Pharaoh had his 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 magicians and and sorcerers turned their staffs into snakes too and often we read a story like that and we think well god did it with real spiritual power but they did it and they were just pulling tricks you know they were doing like like magic tricks and there was no real power in it but maybe there was maybe there was an elohim by the scene, behind the scenes a, a demon or satan influencing these men who were who were practicing dark arts and witchcraft and and sorcery and and maybe uh, even though they didn't have this power the elohim behind the scenes were making it seem like they did but god was going to not be outdone because aaron's staff that turned into a snake turned around and then ate up all the other snakes demonstrating it had power over them all you could read this story uh, in the story of the Exodus. And then there's the time where where they announced that the Nile River was going to turn to blood. And then the same thing. Pharaoh has his magicians and sorcerers and they turn water to blood and, and, and doing the same thing. And, and God, again, wouldn't be outdone and he would do it to a degree that they couldn't keep up with. And then there was the plague of frogs and, and the frogs came up out of the Nile and and became a plague and and then the sorcerers and the 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 sorcerers and the magicians were able to bring frogs out too and and again to a degree that wasn't quite the same as god's but but you get the idea there was elohim at work here and, and god was demonstrating and, and that he had more power than all of these elohim then we get to the plague of gnats and they couldn't keep up and, and then they get to the plagues and, and we continue on all the rest of the plagues and the sorcerers and the magicians just couldn't keep up with the things that moses and aaron and god were doing and and the idea here is this that that maybe it wasn't quite just sleight of hand that the sorcerers were doing maybe Maybe there were Elohim at work. These men, these people were worshiping and serving and, 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 and giving their lives to these other gods. And these other gods were showing they had power in the world around them. 
different cultures have different names to all the Elohim of the world, and, and often they play just about the same roles. Throughout history, we'll see that mankind has worshipped all kinds of gods. They've worshipped gods that would bring victory in battle and war. They've worshipped gods that, that demand sacrifice and child sacrifice and human sacrifice. All along the way, there have been gods that mankind has worshipped that has uh, that, that have been gods that would elevate men to be gods too. All along the way, men have worshipped gods that would direct and influence the affairs and the politics of men. There have been gods that have, have been gods that men have sought to bring prosperity and success. There have been gods that men have sought to bring fertility and, and sex. There have been gods that men have sought, mankind I should say, have sought, and people have sought to, to look for wealth and power and and these gods have had all kinds of different names from Ashtoreth to Baal to Molech to Chemosh to to all the gods of the the Romans and the Greeks and the Babylonians and there's been all kinds of gods out there and sometimes it seems that these gods they have influence over their people that worship them they they have influence over territories and over areas there there have been in scripture uh, gods who who seemed to have their 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 territories like the god of the babylonians the gods of the egyptians the gods of the and you name it and it's interesting because when it tells us jesus was tempted in the desert we see him have an encounter with satan another spiritual being an elohim we could we could call him. Uh, he's another spiritual being, and and Jesus has this encounter with him, and he's tempted by him. And I don't know if you've ever really spent time thinking about it, but one of the temptations that Satan gave Jesus was if Jesus would bow down before him, then Satan would give him the dominion over all the 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 kingdoms of the world. And and you read that, and you think, well, there's no way that was a temptation, but it's called a temptation of uh, of Jesus, that it was tempting. There was something about what Satan was offering him that he had the ability to give. And maybe it's because Satan has has influence and has has put put his hooks into areas all over the world to where Satan's influence could have been used to give Jesus a mock version of of the influence he was going to win by the cross. You know, Jesus was going to be crucified and died and rise, right, raised from the dead and ascend into heaven. And one day he comes back to claim all those from all over the world who have believed in him and called on his name. Well, Satan and his temptations seem like every one of them had to do with giving Jesus something he was going to accomplish by the cross, but a, but sort of a weaker version. Like, like Jesus, I'll give you influence over the earthly kingdoms of the world. And, and of course, then Jesus would have died and, and wouldn't have been able to give his life for our sakes. He would have had to have paid for his own sins on the cross and uh, instead of being sinless. And then he wouldn't have been able to take 
take a hold of this eternal kingdom that he's taken a hold of. But I'm getting into a deep thought here. But what I'm trying to get to is this, that there are Elohims that have influence. And what if, what if our brains could start wrapping around the idea that we don't just live in a world that's filled with physical things, but that there are spiritual unseen things going on all around us, that we are constantly rubbing shoulders with and bumping up against Elohim and the influence of Elohim in our life. What if, what if we could realize that Yahweh God he is the creator Elohim, that, that he is above all other gods. But there are these small g gods in this world trying to influence things today. You know, what if back in 2019, if the uptick in all the school shootings was an Elohim at work? and influencing and bringing depression and bringing upset and bringing heartache and bringing loneliness into our world. What if the fact that the child sex slavery industry is growing rampantly right now and 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 the porn industry is growing side by side with it, what if all of that is happening and, and is happening right now because there's a small g God involved in influencing what's going on what if the rise in depression and suicide and loneliness right now is the work of a small g god what if this pandemic is being used by a small g god to create a spiritual attack on people and on the church what if we start to realize that there's a real concentrated effort on the part of the small g gods of the world to stand up against yahweh god and to prevent you from worshiping or knowing this yahweh god what if we realize that issues like justice and fairness and rule of law, issues like abortion and legalization of sexual, different sexualities and alternative sexualities, and what if the, the idea of gender neutrality, and, and what if the idea of, of, of identity is an idea that's not just a political idea, but it's the work of an of a small g god behind the scenes trying to influence this world and trying to trying to get this world to walk away from the ways that god created it to be it's not just politics it's a spiritual battle it's not just politics, but there are Elohim working behind the scenes, bringing confusion into the mix, try, trying to turn men away from God. You know, I've had uh, conversations, a lot of conversations with people in Vernonia, and, and this is one of those towns that people move into and move out of, and, and this is one of those towns where uh, a lot of people move into our little town, and they'll live here for a few years and then leave, but you have some old-timers. You have some of those folks who've stuck around for a really long time. They either grew up here, or they moved here, and their families lived here, and, and gener for generations their families have been here. And, and one of the things that I've heard from old-timer Christians that have lived here in our town is that they will often refer to old man Vernonia. And here's how it would go. You know, maybe there's a, an affair 
there there's a there's unfaithfulness in a family and there's an affair and, and a family falls apart and and a lot of times they'll say oh that's old man vernonia at work or a couple of young people they indulge in sexual immorality maybe there's a a, a, a pregnancy out of wedlock uh, and uh, and they'll say oh man old man vernonia he's at work and maybe there's a blow up between friends and and sometimes in a small town like this you might run into like little mini feuds and stuff like that and and you'll see a blow up or a, or a, or people fi- fall out of favor with each other and oh man that was old man vernonia was at work there and sometimes it'll even happen in a church uh, for a little town like ours you see it you see it in big towns and big churches you see it in little towns and little churches there'll be some divisions happening and and some dissension happening and some discouragements happening and and maybe people leave a church because they're upset and they'll say oh man old man vernonia is at work and and what if this what if old man vernonia might just be the name we give him but what if there's an elohim at work in our community what if there's an Elohim at work in our community? And, and if there really is an Elohim at work in our community trying to discourage people and hurt people, what if that old man, Vernonia, uh, what if that old man, Vernonia, doesn't want there to be anyone preaching the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ in that town? What if old man Vernonia would would rather would rather get people to think of church as not very essential? What if old man Vernonia would would like to get people to to replace going to church with other things, and and he'd like to get people to start to turn their backs on Jesus and walk away from Jesus? Man, old man man Vernonia must be working hard with this COVID thing, you know. And and old man Vernonia doesn't want doesn't want you worshiping Yahweh God. He might attack the leaders of a church that wants to preach the gospel. He, he might attack the, the community of that church that wants to preach the gospel. He might attack its people, trip them up, get them to think of church as, as a hobby rather than a, uh, rather than a well, an identity. He, he might get people to think of uh, the idea that there are gates around their church and that, that their church is going to not grow and he's going to try to get that church to not progress. He, he might pick on the members of that church probably one by one to find ways to get them to, to fall apart with their families and find ways to to fall apart and fall out of favor with their friends. He might convince them they don't need church and he might find a way to isolate them socially and he, he might find a way to distance them from each other. And I don't know if you hear anything uh, familiar, but it seems to me that the old man Vernonia is at work. And the thing about these Elohim is that when people give them power and authority in their lives, or in the place that they live, these Elohim almost always rule with cruelty, deceitfulness. They rule unfairly, unjustly, and they leave people broken in the wake. And I'm using Vernonia as an example, and I don't know where you live, because some of you are with us, and you're you're in places in California, Arizona, you're in other countries, and, and you're in other communities, but you get the idea. What if there is an Elohim at work in your community trying to pull you away from knowing and loving and worshiping and being saved by and, and, and winning eternity through 
the name of Yahweh, God, your creator? What if these Elohim are, are at work and working overtime to do it? I see the events of our country in this last week, and and man, not just this last week, but almost all last year, we watched almost exact same kind of events. I live close to Portland, and and Portland is not the same as it used to be, and and it was people, yes, people who did everything. It was people who did the wrong things that have caused all this trouble and trial and and upset and discord. But you know, in scripture, it describes, it describes the work of the ideas and theologies and ideologies of Satan and his demons as being things that bring division and discord. And what if there is an Elohim or an army of Elohim at work? at work trying to bring a darkness and a division and an isolation over our country, over our world. And it sounds like a a real conspiracy theory, doesn't it? But it's one that the Bible describes. We find in Psalm chapter 82, we find this prayer that the psalmist prays. In Psalm chapter 82, the psalmist prays this, uh, or he, he sings this, and, and, it, and it sounds like this conversation that God has with all the other Elohim. Uh, it says this, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. He, he gives judgment among all the Elohim. The psalmist paints this picture here of God sitting in a courtroom bringing judgment judgment on all the other Elohim as they stand before him. And this psalm, it's meant to be like this conversation that Yahweh God, the Yahweh creator, the big G God has with all the little G gods as he as he presides over them and pronounces judgment on them. And look at what it says, or listen to what it says. In Psalm 82, I'm going to read the psalm. I don't have it here uh, up here for you, but, but I'm going to read it from the scripture. It says this, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? I mean, man, that sounds very familiar. How long will you defend the cause of the weak and and the fatherless and maintain the rights of the or, or how long until you defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless and maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed rescue the weak and needy deliver them from the hand of the wicked they know nothing they understand nothing They walk about in darkness, these small G gods, these Elohim. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, you are Elohim, you are all sons of the Most High. You are created by God, but you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. And so God, the big G God, sits over the Elohim and says, your time is coming you're going to fall. And then the psalmist switches gears and he prays a prayer. He says, rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. In other words, God, will you do something about the situation we're in? Will you undo what the Elohim are doing? Will you come into our world and free us from their influence? And and will you help this world that the Elohim are leading astray? And we're talking about 
answering the question, why does God tell us his name? Why does he tell us he's Yahweh God? Why does he tell us his character in Exodus 34? Well, because it distinguishes him from all the other gods and all the other Elohim that might be out there. He's not just another God. He's just a spirit. He is Yahweh God. Yahweh God. And he sits over and rules over all the other Elohim. And the day will come where he judges them along with judging all men. And he will sit in judgment over them. And he will right all wrongs and bring justice where justice is needed. And and he will have compassion and be slow to anger with the men who've been influenced by him. And he will be forgiven and he will bring all that we need to undo what was done by all the Elohim. And he wants us to know him. He is Yahweh, Yahweh God, not the unjust, not the, not the uh, unforgiving, not the uncaring, not the selfish. No, he is Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, loving and forgiving and just. He's Yahweh God. And so that's point number one. I told you it was long. And now here's point number two, and it's going to be a little shorter. And point number two is this, that Jesus is big G God in person. Jesus is this Yahweh God in person. You might remember that passage in Colossians that says all things were made by him and for him and through him. And, and, and that verse was talking about Jesus was the one through whom Yahweh God did that. And here we're going to talk about how Jesus is this Yahweh God in the flesh. He is the same God who was on Mount Sinai. Jesus Christ is Yahweh God who put skin on. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. He just radiates the glory of God, and he's the exact representation of his being. And what does Jesus do here? It says he sustains all things by his powerful word. He sustains everything by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, after he went to the cross and died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels, to all the other gods and all the other Elohim and all the other small G's out there. He became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus is the I am. I am. Jesus is Yahweh. And he inherited that name. And we remember Moses' request on Mount Sinai. God, will you show me your glory? And here we're told that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. That we see that glory in Jesus. We remember that Jesus fulfilled that, that request to Moses. And that request from us, he shows us the glory of God. And one of the things that we're told Jesus came to do was to undo and the works of uh, of the small g gods, the undo the works of these Elohim, these these uh, these gods who have 
brought injustice, you know, answer the prayers of those who prayed prayers like in Psalm 82, where it was, God, will you come and will you, will you help right the wrongs that these, these other gods have brought into our world? In John, uh, sorry, in 1 John 3, 8, it says this, you don't, I won't have it up here, but you can just listen. In 1 John 3, 8, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I mean, that's one of the things Jesus came to do. He came to undo the work of the false gods, the small g gods, uh, the work of Satan. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus. He went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I mean, we read passages like that as Westerners, and, and we most of us have probably, that we know of, have never ever seen a demon-possessed person, and we just assume that that's just stuff maybe in the past, or it's not real. But here we're seeing that, no, God gave Jesus the ability and the power to do this, and he's doing it. And he demonstrated power and authority over all this small g false gods. In fact, multiple times we're told Jesus did stuff like that. In, in Mark chapter 1, verse 39, it says, So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Uh, He wasn't just a God. He was the God. He was Yahweh God who has authority and who presides over all other small g spiritual beings in this world. In other words, here's one of the things Jesus came to do. He came to end the hurts that the big the, that the small g gods bring into our world he disarms them uh, look at what it says in colossians chapter 2 verse 15 it says in having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross i mean at, at first glance it looked like the small g gods won It looked like the devil won when Jesus was hung on a cross and tortured and crucified. It looked like he had won. But then three days later, he rose from the dead and he undid all their power and authority over people because Jesus offers a way to be forgiven. Jesus offers a way to have atonement. Jesus offers to trade us his perfect life for our sinful one in order to give us to give us salvation and eternal life and to make us right with big G God, with Yahweh God. And in doing that, Jesus came to make us overcomers. He makes us overcomers. He he rendered the small G gods powerless by offering forgiveness of sins, by offering to cancel debts. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what that says? What that says is that old man Vernonia has no power or authority here anymore. That Jesus told us that that the gates of hell 
would not stand up against the church and the message of the gospel. And so as a church, we can say, you know what, we're going to work and do God's work of undoing whatever old man Vernonia has been doing. And in scripture, Jesus would teach us that he who lives in us is greater than he who's in the world because we have Jesus in us. We have God's Holy Spirit in us. And, and we don't have to be afraid of old man Vernonia. We can rebuke him in Jesus' name and and drive his influence out and spread the message of the gospel and preach and teach and survive and have a strong church in the midst of a world where there are small g gods trying to turn men away from Yahweh. And so we're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Jesus rose from the dead. Our sins are forgiven. And Jesus wants us to know this big G, Yahweh God. Why is it important that we know his name? Well, for one, because if we call on his name, he forgives us. If we call on his name, he calls us out of the world, puts to death an old life, gives us a new one. A a new one where we can have the power of big G, Yahweh, in our life. We can abide in him and hide in him and we can find strength in him and peace in him and we can and we can have hope in him and we can we can know strength in him and we can know victory in him and we can be overcomers in a world filled with small g gods and influences. We don't have to be afraid because he's Yahweh God and he is such a good God. Unlike all the other gods, that are unjust, unloving, selfish. This God, well, he says it this way, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents on their children and grandchildren. Their entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generation. In other words, God is a just God, and he rights all wrongs. And we can abide in him and know him if we know him by his name. We don't don't pray to this God just randomly throwing out names, hoping, hoping like throwing a handful of darts that maybe one will land on its target. And we don't finish our prayers saying amen or a woman, hoping maybe just accidentally we might we might get this God's attention. No, he wants us to know him by name and come to him. Big G God over all other gods that might not be or might be. He is Yahweh God. And, and I would like to invite you to turn to him with me in prayer. And let's just acknowledge who he is together. God, we come before you right now and and we know your name, Yahweh. And we pray to you, Yahweh, God. In Jesus' name, we come to you. And God, we ask that you would help us. We ask that you would reach into our world and into our lives and that your influence would be at work in our lives. God, we ask that you would 
continue to undo all the work that's been done in the name of small G gods. Undo it in our life and undo it in the world around us. God, when you taught us to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you, you taught us to pray that your influence would, would come into our world and, and that heaven's influence would come into our world. And the idea is, is that we know that heaven's influence isn't here, and so we need it here. And we pray, God, that we pray that you would come. We invite you into our life. God, some of us have never made a first-time decision to believe in you. Some of us have never called out on the name of Jesus. And so right now, for the first time, if that's you, I'd like to encourage those of you who, who that, that's you to just do it. And so we call out on you, Jesus, and we ask you for forgiveness and grace together. Jesus, will you forgive us for our sins? Jesus, we believe in you and we believe in your death and your resurrection and we ask you to come into our lives as our big G Yahweh God. And I pray, God, that you will help us to be spiritually sensitive to the events around us, to the things happening in our world, to the things happening in our lives, and to know that as we go through them, we're going through them not alone, but with you, Yahweh God. And that can give us confidence and hope and help. And so we pray that you'd be with us and you'd help us. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. I do want to invite you, if, if you made a first-time decision as we've been going through this message today, if you've decided you're going to call on this big G God, if you're going to call on Yahweh in the name of Jesus to be forgiven and have grace, if if you're making a first-time decision, I'd love to know about that because I'd like to help you uh, in your journey in getting to know this big G God. And so let us know, uh, either on the comment card or by sending a prayer uh, request and just saying, pray for me, I'm, made, I'm making a first-time decision. Uh, let us know, and I'd love to reach out to you and help you you in your walk. Well, I want to transition into a time right now where we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is something we do every Sunday together, and we do it because Jesus taught us, every time you get together in my name, do this to remember me. And so we're remembering him. And, and it's sort of like uh, one of those things where it's a multi-sensory way to remember that Jesus took bread and broke it. And he said, when you eat this, do uh, think about the life that I'm giving you. This represents my body that's broken for you. And and so uh, so in a multi-sensory way, you know, we smell, taste, touch it. And, and, and we're, we're, we're doing a physically, we're doing something physical, but there's a spiritual side to it. There's a spiritual connection where we're connecting ourselves with the the story of the gospel and the forgiveness God gives us. And and then we we take the, the grape juice, the unfermented wine, and, and we drink it. And again, there's smell, taste, touch. It's a physical thing we're doing, but there's a spiritual connection that's happening between us and Jesus when we do it. And so I'd love to invite you to join me in it. And we're just going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So we're going to take Take the bread. If you have bread or crackers at home, you can join us in this. And I like to break it to remind me of that brokenness of Jesus on the cross. And, and then we'll eat it together.
And then we take the juice and and I'm going to drink it and remember the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us. And I want to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he gave his life on the cross and that even in the midst of the crucifixion and, and the it, it looked like the the devil won. It looked like Satan had, had won and put an end to the Messiah, but then you rose from the dead. And those two things, those two moments, changed everything. Taking my sin to the cross and giving me forgiveness. Bleeding so that you could wash my sins away. And then rising from the dead, showing that Satan and his minions and the small g gods just don't have the power to keep the creator and author of life down and God that just gives so much hope and so we come and right now we remember and celebrate the Lord's Supper together filled with hope and and God uh, filled with confidence in Christ and it's in Jesus name we pray amen so I want to enter into a time now where we're going to move into our, our uh, receiving an offering. And if you're at home, you're clapping with us. Uh, we clap every time because it's a joy to give. And man, God has been just moving and working. Uh, he's, been, he's been working through the church here in our community. Um, so many good things are on the horizon. I'm excited. Uh, I, I just can't wait to announce at the end of February what what we've done with uh with the um boots on the ground the special christmas offering we do I can't wait to announce that I can't wait to have a celebration sunday with that um and and uh I I I wish I I want to tell you right now but uh it's just good it's just good God's good and he's doing neat things and I'm excited about what God's been doing here at Vernonia Church you know we're 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 continuing to find ways to reach out and we're continuing to find ways to grow we're continuing to to do the work that God has put us here to do and God's been moving and so I want to say thank you to those of you who've continued to be a part and a support for what God is doing through Vernonia Church and let's just pray that God will bless what we do now uh, oh by the way <laughs> if you want to give I know we're all we're not here in person and so I'm sometimes I forget to say things but uh but if you want to give, uh, you can go at, at on, any time. You can go online to www.vernonia.church, and you can give. There's a Give tab. You can set up giving. You can set up automated giving, which is what I personally do when I support our church. I just I have everything automated. I automate everything in my life. I automate my bills. I automate my, my payments, and I automate my giving to the church. And so that way I make sure that I'm, I'm sort of honoring God with my tithe no matter what's going on I've just kind of created it it's it's an automatic thing I do uh, but uh, you're you're welcome to do that you could set that up at vernonia.church at any time uh, you could also text to give uh, at 503-376-6646 just text the word G-I-V-E to 503-376-6646 and you can give that way too and so that said uh, I want to just pray and then we'll uh, finish off our message. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we could uh, be your church, that you could be at work through us, and that you could uh, be at work in us. And God, I do thank you that you've promised us that uh, the gates of hell would not prevail against your your church and the gospel. And no matter whether there's COVID or uh, political uncertainty or unrest or upset or no matter what, that your kingdom is going to grow. Your kingdom grows all over the world and has grown all over the world in the face of persecution and struggle and the small G gods keep trying to work against it. But God, um, you're good. And and you show that, uh, that, that, that nothing will stand in the way of your kingdom. And so God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing here in Vernonia and here through Vernonia online. And I just thank you that we get to be a part of it. And I pray that in giving that our part will go far, that you will take what we do as we give and you will multiply it in people who make decisions for Christ and people who give their life to Christ and in people who find themselves freed from the influence of the small G gods and in their worlds. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Everybody says together, amen. So I want to finish off our message and our our online worship by declaring together, it's been a great day. And so on the count of three, I want you to yell it out with me. One, two, three. It's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and I hope you have a great week.